ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello and welcome to the Queens and Rebels history podcast that mainly focuses on history contributions women made and if you're new I hope you enjoy. If uh, you uh, like this show please tell somebody about it. Before I start talking about today's topic which is of course part two on my limited series on a gay life in the Soviet Union I want to give a shout out to someone very very special it's my favorite neighborhood doggo Poppy <laughs> I always run into her and she's always so happy to see me likewise because there's something very special about someone's pet choosing to say hi to you where I feel so blessed like the chosen one versus just the regular old human saying hi uh, so hi Poppy I know you can't understand me and you probably will never hear this um, in other news I uh, am sitting in my a small little home office and we kept the windows open today Although I had to close mine because the neighbor's air conditioning is quite loud. So if I start to babble and make no sense, it's because I am literally melting. This room is quickly becoming very hot. And I've been out all day in the warm weather. So um, I'm kind of tired, to be honest. It makes me tired. But I still have to walk my own uh, for a child. I will uh, take my cat for a walk after I do this. So let's jump right in, I suppose. Uh, we left off in part one with uh, talking about the emerging gay culture uh, during uh, Tsar's uh, time. I feel like it's uh, been a million years since I've done a part one, to be honest. I mean, not much happened since, um, but I did have a wonderful four days off. I definitely could get used to that schedule for sure. I actually read somewhere that Iceland had a four working day week trial or something like that. And uh, it was deemed to be a success in terms of uh, well-being and productivity. But honestly, I don't feel like Canada is there yet. Like we're so far from being this innovative. I don't think it will happen in my lifetime. Honestly, if it does, I'm going to be so bitter. Like if I retire and they implement a four-day work week, mark my words, I will be so pissed. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally going to be a bitter grandma. Like I'll start yelling <laughs> at, at the young kids or rather telling them about how they're lazy. Like back in my day, I worked five days a week. But sorry, yeah, let's get back uh, to the topic. If you haven't listened to part one, Go ahead and do so before this episode. And uh, as always, my sources are listed in the episode description. So uh, on a 
Gospel Revolution, uh, queer communities uh, started to form their own culture, although heterosexuality was still the only acceptable norm. Before we get into the main topic, let's do a very short recap of what uh, got the revolution going. These changes affected a lot of people and eventually would lead to the formation of Soviet Union. Uh, so the first uh, wave of revolutionary unrest hit the country in 1905 after the events of what is known as the Bloody Sunday when um, the Tsar's troops opened fire on unarmed uh, protesters. After the outrage caused by this event, uh, Tsar Nicholas um, II promised to implement a series of reforms and uh, these reforms were stalled by uh, Russia's disastrous involvement in World War One. The country uh, was pretty backwards compared to the rest of European imperial powers. It uh, soon sustained huge casualties. It could not compete with other countries technologically, so it threw a lot of people that were kind of viewed as disposable at its enemy. Uh, on top of that, uh, the already hungry population experienced even more food shortages and insecurity, and the economy was in shambles. Um, there was also Rasputin and Serena Alexandra's unpopularity. What really added to Nicholas's uh, downfall was the fact that he tended to dissolve the Duma, aka uh, the Parliament, every time they opposed him, rendering any uh, 1905 reforms pretty much worthless. Uh, so by uh, 1916, even the moderate political fractions that previously supported him were calling for his dismissal. On March of 1917, demonstrators protested in the capital and a few days later, the Tsar resigned. A provisional, a fairly liberal government was established and it was not until November of 1917 Bolsheviks launched a coup by occupying government buildings and launching their own government with Lenin at their head. Of course, uh, later Bolshevik propaganda would spin it uh, that they had a lot of popular support from the masses and uh, people, uh, you know, took up their cause, uh, which uh, wasn't true. And after Bolshevik occupation, the civil war followed uh, with the Red Army fighting for the Bolshevik government and the White Army consisting of a loosely allied forces of monarchists, capitalists and democrats. The war ended in 1923 with the Reds' victory and a Soviet Union was established. Of course, this is a very brief recap. Um, you could probably have an entire podcast talking uh, just about the revolution itself. And uh, this was the focus of my studies, uh, was uh, the Soviet modern history. Uh, but anyways, let's move on. This um, <laughs> upheaval obviously had a huge impact on common people, including 
the gay subculture uh, that was developing in uh, Tsarist Russia. For example, many bathhouses that came to function as gay brothels and hangout spots could only function as a privatized business, but the Soviet regime brought an end to them. Um, the same went for other public commoditized spaces such as restaurants and cafes. Reports of organized sex work in bathhouses stop after 1917. Of course, this does not mean people would not meet there for hookups still, but it was not as organized or easily accessible. One of the consequences of the disappearance of a privatized uh, public spaces became the increasing importance of uh, public toilets as meeting grounds for gay contact, especially for men. And I'm not yucking anyone's yum, but uh, for a lot of people, uh, public washrooms are not that sexy. I mean, these were spaces that were uh, forced onto people uh, because they were really forced out of any other options gay individuals were pushed further into anonymity and out of the mainstream public space since the revolution eliminated a lot of these spaces. One of the patients identified uh, simply as P told his doctor that, I quote, after the revolution, meeting in the toilets have become the most predominant means of contact. In Petersburg, uh, renamed Leningrad, two of such public toilets were known for gay hookups, one located in Sincizeli Circus and one on Nevsky Prospect. And of course, Nevsky Prospect was already known as a popular gay hangout prior to the revolution. In a pre-revolutionary Moscow, the specific spaces associated with gay subcultures uh, developed a bit later than in uh, Petersburg. P uh, continued his testimony and he was actually a gay sex worker himself. He talked about a ring of connected boulevards in Moscow, literally called Boulevard Ring, and it was known uh, during pre- and post-revolutionary times as a queer hangouts. The area was in the center of the city. It was easily accessible by public transportation and continued to be well known in the community well into the 1930s. This is where P, at the age of 17, met, uh, as uh, he referred to, my people. Uh, so he met his group. Early into the post-revolutionary life, a gay subculture that really did not change much from the Tsarist era. Men would meet each other in the same established places. One such encounter in 1924 is described. On Nevsky, I glanced at the sweet-looking lad. He turned and came back to me began a conversation. How do I get to Ligovka Street? Then the usual story. From the country, some place, doesn't want to perish, etc. Why did he speak to me? I see you are a good-looking man. And why was I looking at you? I don't know. It pleased me too. Yes? 
So I please you just a little. Practically on the spot, he dreamt of a life, unquote, with the author. The author continues on and on. Uh, but uh, basically, we can see that besides uh, being forced out of a certain private spaces, life continued more or less as normal. Soviet sources from the 20s continue to mention uh, some cross-dressing as well and makeup use, although it has now moved to private places and was no longer visible on the streets. We do not know if some of these individuals would identify as trans today since they did not have the freedom to live authentically or the same language that we do. In 1921, two sailors referring to themselves by female names as Zoya and Anastasia were arrested. Um, other men arrested from that party included a Red Army soldier who, I quote, loves to dress in women's clothing and despite poverty possesses women's outfits, unquote. Another subculture of uber-masculinity, especially associated with the military, still continued in post-revolutionary times. For example, another sailor arrested at a gay party in 1921 in later testimony spoke of how he preferred someone of a masculine appearance who did not make himself up to be a woman. Uh, he particularly wanted to dissociate himself from the tyotki, aka aunties, uh, that uh, were more feminine uh, gay men and formed their own group. We don't really know how these two groups interacted. Of course, uh, there were those who did not fall into either of the groups, uh, but those two groups of uh, either extremely masculine men that would uh, fetishize a military uh, getup especially, and Tjotki uh, emerged out of historical records as two public faces for the gay male subculture of the time. Of course, those who were more privileged still continued together privately away from prying eyes and unwanted attention. For example, 95 attendees were busted in one of such parties held in a private apartment on the 15th of January and I wrote 2021, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was 1921. So this was in a private flat of a military policeman. This gathering most likely drew attention because of a large number of sailors and soldiers in attendance. According to one attendee, these parties were a ruckus bi-weekly event. Another guest recalled, I quote, We arrived at the flat around 11 p.m. The party was already in full swing. When we got there, we found some kind of masquerade. There was a bride, several Spanish costumes, and two individuals in white wings. I invited one of them to dance a waltz and then a minuet. 
I did not think I would describe any party where people dance a waltz as a raucous, a raucous but <laughs> um, different times, I guess. Uh, so records of such parties in trials uh, lasted as late as the 40s. They were generally painted as immoral affairs or in very strict clinical psychiatric terms. Uh, mentions of homosexuality in other written sources became increasingly sparse during the Soviet era. A private art circle called Antinoi that formed with a goal of promoting male beauty through staging readings of homosexual poetry, all-male ballet recitals or concerts of a work done by gay composers has disbanded by 1924 and it became increasingly difficult to rent public spaces and advertise for such events. In 1928, organizers of a reading by the author of Wings were extremely worried the event would be attended by, I quote, undesirable persons. And I guess I should have prefaced that statement and explained that Wings is a novel written by Mikhail Kuzmin and it is centered on male homosexuality. Kuzmin himself was one of the first writers in Europe to argue that homosexuality is not immoral, actually. Uh, so he did have a cult following within the community. The organizers were able to get the author approved to do a reading, uh, but it was by invitation only, um, in effort to limit the attendance of those who they labeled as undesirable. Despite of uh, these precautions, many gay men were in attendance, uh, and the theater was filled to capacity with many standing in the aisles and it was described as follows. Most were middle-aged or mature. They began elbowing their way towards the stage. Many had bouquets of flowers in their hands. When Kuzmin finished reading, they dashed up to the stage and began throwing these bouquets upon it. As Orlov, um, a student among the organizers, as Orlov uh, put it, it, this was the last demonstration of the Petersburg um, and insert a slur. <laughs> the performance turned into a genuine happy triumph for Kuzmin, but for the organizers of the evening, it all nearly ended ba badly. They only just managed to convince the director that they had been incapable of handling the crowd." Unquote. After the uh, 1917 revolution, some hoped that homosexuality will be tolerated or even given legal rights. This, uh, as we can see, was quickly dispelled by uh, the Soviet reality of life. Any uh, attempts at uh, promoting art associated with uh, queerness was uh, quickly driven out from uh, public spaces. Not much uh, really changed for gay women who already did not occupy these uh, public spaces. Some accepting families continued to be a safe space uh, for lesbian relationships. In fact, notes made by various uh, psychologists describe more families that were accepting uh, to various degrees 
and uh, put an effort again to various degrees to accommodate their gay members rather than attempts to force heterosexuality on them. For example, a teacher named Olga shared the roof with her siblings and her girlfriend Valentina well into 1922. Unfortunately, the relationship threatened the family's standing in the Consomol, and this was a communist youth organization. So Olga's brother convinced her to marry a local man, and we do not know much about her since. Another family that sheltered a lesbian sibling had an even more unfortunate fate. The sister was forcibly removed and prescribed a course of hypnotherapy to quote-unquote cure her. She was then returned to a different, more distant family branch by the police so she could be monitored. And uh, the doctors claimed uh, to cure homosexuality through hypnotherapy and a Freudian psychoanalysis. Most records that are available about uh, gay women do come from a psychiatrist um, and uh, from courts, um, and they mostly deal with domestic matters. For example, a court case in 1926 uh, talks about a woman simply identified as TH who murdered her same-sex life partner. Psychiatrists analyzing such cases tended to dismiss them as deviancy. Some theorized it was a financial transaction between younger women paying for room and board with sex and older women willing to house them. Some theorized that uh, what they viewed as masculinized bodies were the source of um, their patient's deviation. Um, this uh, clinical language that developed around gay women and men was uh, devoid of any hint of uh, emotional partnership that, of course, people developed. One surviving poem by a patient of Dr. Krasnushkin a former actress, gives us a brief glimpse into a world filled with tenderness and human connection. Sanctified love I have not known, nor have I known maiden's tears. I have not thought of springs through marriage, and I have never woven wreath of roses. From afar encounters have always lured me. Brilliant sin beckoned wildly, the passion of girlfriends, the tears and their heavy hidden laughter. To their circle I was devoted, drank their caresses with caresses. Brunettes captivated me more than once, and often my, my sin with blondes was bold. I loved them day and night, and in the viewing of our bodies, I loved their eyes filled with languor. And on their breasts I loved sleep, but all is past, all irretrievable. I now know it's all deceit. I cannot go back by the same path, for life is but an intoxicant. We do not know much about the author of the poem. However, Krasnushkin, her doctor, was a respected Soviet psychiatrist and did not deviate from his contemporary views of homosexuality. 
In his field, of course, it was viewed as a deviancy. Thus, the decision to feature this snippet might seem strange, but he presented the author as a socially degraded, gifted psychopath, uh, basically assuring whoever read the poem that uh, it's a nice poem, uh, but the subject is immoral and it is an example of a patient's degeneracy. Um, in pre-Soviet era, gay bourgeois women especially uh, could gather in literally salons, forming their own groups and their own subculture. With the revolution, as you can imagine, bourgeois activities were frowned upon and the lesbian salon culture was stamped out. Most immigrated and those who stayed, uh, most prominently Sofia Parnok, a poetess who celebrated female relationships in her work, could not find a stable employment and live on the margins of society. However, just because a lesbian life was not visible did not mean it was non-existent. Parnock's close friend observed and described a closeted lesbian subculture that existed in Russia's artistic and academic communities. He gives the following description of Sofia and her mathematician girlfriend Olga. They dressed very simply and almost alike, always wearing severe, almost masculine attire consisting of jackets and skirts with hems below the knees. Both of them wore shirts and ties. Their shoes were invariably the same style of brown, low-heel Oxford. Now uh, we all know, I love a good quote, but I did not include this description at random. Parnock's uh, biographer and a professor, Diana Bourgin, uh, suggests that masculine elements in women's dress was a part of a female gay expression and code that could be picked up by other women in urban spaces and could be seen as a part of a lesbian subculture. In general, women adopting attributes typically associated with masculinity was a part of a wider political persona of a communist woman that uh, was emotionally controlled and functionally dressed. Uh, Quote-unquote masculinized women uh, served in the military and, uh, and did police work, producing the impression that by rejecting femininity, they turned into productive citizens. And this was reflected um, somewhat in popular fashion and political life of the time in general. Uh, lesbian women who adopted a typically masculine attributes at the time went unnoticed uh, by the authorities of the time. Uh, they could blend in more easily since that was uh, the thing in vogue. Um, of course, until Stalin took efforts to bring back traditional femininity and roles, but more on that later. I mean, to me, it feels so, so silly to infer that... Uh, assertiveness or pants belong to a certain gender, but um, we all know that uh, some things are still viewed that way and especially reviewed that way during the time period we are discussing. And some viewed the breakdown of these gender barriers as an abdomination, some men lamented it. Uh, for others, it was a hope 
that one day they can live as their authentic selves. Uh, for example, a 23-year-old student in a sex survey in Moscow's Sverdlovs University not only admitted to being attracted to other women, but expressed a desire for a sex change. And I quote, I want to be a man. I impatiently await scientific discoveries of castration and grafting of male organ glands. Unquote. To no surprise, gender reassignment surgery in uh, 1920s was primitive and unsuccessful, even if attempted. A psychiatrist took an interest in um, trans men, uh, of course, who they refer to in a more outdated language. The assumption made by these doctors was that these individuals assumed a male identity to gain access to women, uh, and they were driven by uh, their uh, homosexuality. Uh, I mean, this was a, a wildly incorrect misunderstanding of uh, trans individuals as general and what further refuted that assumption was that uh, most uh, recorded cases of uh, trans uh, people um, that happened to be uh, away from urban centers where a queer subculture congregated but basically people uh, took the opportunity to assume a new gender identity during a very tumultuous and chaotic revolutionary time and hoped that uh, that would get lost on others in the upheaval. Uh, in 1925, a psychologist described a biological female who upon the death of the family's patriarch ran away to the city of Astrakhan and was formerly known as Alexander Pavlovich. Alexander eventually returned to his family, dated a few women and resumed the family's trade in silver. He also financially supported his sister's household. He drew some unwanted attention from the authorities by receiving administrative fines and taking part in few brawls and in 1924 was arrested and later transferred to the Bureau of Criminal Anthropology for Com Compulsory Therapy. People that fell outside of gender norms were not rare. In case of Evgenia Fedorovna, also known as Alexander Evgenia, used a word uh, pseudo-hermaphrodite to self-identify. Meaning that Evgenia identified as both male and female. With our modern language, of course, Evgenia most likely identified as gender fluid or non-binary. Um, this, of course, is a speculation on my part. And uh, we cannot know what Evgenia would have chosen. Considering that now we have language that is more accommodating to gender fluid individuals that was lacking at the time, I will be referring to Evgenia by they them pronouns, although as I said it is a speculation on my part. Evgenia was orphaned at the age of 17 and presented as male during their military career. They married and adopted uh, their wife's daughter and 
was eventually charged by the local authorities with, I quote, crimes against nature. <laughs> it sounds like something you get charged uh, with for non-recycling, uh, but um, the case was so poorly constructed that the court actually had to recognize the marriage as legal because it was mutual, uh, mutually consented to. Eventually, Evgenia seemingly abandoned their family in favor of their military career, but was unfortunately fired and had a very tough time getting used to the civilian life. Um, later on, uh, they started drinking. Uh, Evgenia eventually faced trouble with the law and found themselves being examined by a doctor from Moscow's Health Bureau, Department Bureau. Yevgenia did not express a desire to change uh, their biological gender, instead identifying as both male and female and arguing that, I quote, it would be preferable when judging homosexual persons if their personality and mental cap capabilities were taken into account before all else and not their actions, which are private, just as for normal people, unquote. I mean, makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I don't know why everyone's so obsessed with who's sleeping with uh, who, but uh, we can see that uh, Evgenia used uh, the language and understanding available at the time uh, to attempt to uh, normalize their identity and homosexuality as a whole. While Evgenia was making their passionate plea, patterns of government attempts to regulate non-cisgendered heteronormative identities began to emerge and it mainly fell on the medical field to regulate. Marxists in general claimed to have a rational scientific view of the world. Their views on sexuality were influenced by Darwinism and eugenics. Therefore, sex was viewed as a tool for human advancement through procreation. This defined heterosexuality as good and homosexuality as unnatural. Lenin was a part of the same uh, rational camp. He never directly expressed views on homosexuality, but stated that before liberating love from social and religious prejudice, other matters had to take priority. For Lenin, sex had to be put on the back burner while all worked for the success of communism. And a queer, a queer expression particularly was viewed as bourgeois business, which of course was a big no-no. Sex was to exist as a social duty to the motherland <laughs> to procreate for the benefit of the nation. Uh, this does not mean that when Bolsheviks came to power, they completely lacked liberal attitudes. The Soviet Criminal Code of 1922 uh, did decriminalize sodomy. 
and a lot of early attitudes about homosexuality in early leadership at least are unclear since they were later co-opted by Stalin uh, to suit his own agenda and uh, we will uh, get into that on the next episode and I do believe I will have a guest on the next one if all works out uh, So uh, we'll talk about the topic in detail later on. This is where I'm going to pause. Uh, So I hope everyone is doing well, staying healthy, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.